again, I'm, I'm not a realtor, but I, I know quite a few of them. It's, you know, one of the ways that, that you and I got, got together as we connected. And, you know, to me, it breaks down. There, there's two kinds of realtors. There are the realtors that nobody likes, and there are the realtors who are amazing people. And I'm really fortunate that it's the amazing people realtors who, I, who I've surrounded myself with over the time. And the people that nobody likes, well, it doesn't matter what their job is. Then no one's going to like them anyhow. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 205 of The Real Estate Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for telling a friend. And really, lately, thank you so much for the guest recommendations. been getting some wonderful in- interviews lined up. I appreciate it. Uh, you can leave those recommendations at therealestatesessions.com. Uh, On to episode 205. I've known my guest for this episode for well over a decade, going back to, I'm going to call them fun times with the Ignite Phoenix crew. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, By the way, if you've never been to an Ignite Ignite event and they're in your city, go check it out. They're a lot of fun. Uh, But I'm going to be talking today to Evo Terra, founder of uh, Simpler Media Productions, the force behind PodcastLaunch.pro, and the chief pontificator on podcast pontifications. Evo, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bill. Thanks for ha- inviting me to be on the program with you. Yeah, you're. Uh, I wonder at times when I have a guest on the show if they are nervous or if they have if they uh, they have some sort of anticipation about what's coming up. But I feel for you, that's not even there's not even a glimmer of that. <laughs> um, I'm pretty comfortable. Let's let's call it that <laughs> way. Not you know obviously because we've known each other for a long time, and I'm I'm doing what I do. I'm on a podcast, so yeah, this is this is my life. Right. Well, so the story behind the real estate sessions really involves the story behind the guest. I love to ask questions about like where you came from and, and, and what that track was and how you got where you're at. So I'm going to start kind of farther back. And, and I remember back in Phoenix, whenever college football season rolled around, if I got this correct, it was you and Jay Thompson going at each other. Oh, yeah. With Oklahoma and Texas, right? The Red River <laughs> rivalry. Right. So um, is it safe to assume you were born and raised in Oklahoma? Yeah, I, that is that is safe to assume. I was born and raised and got out as quickly as I can. And the, the whole reason that Jay and I uh, still continue to this day to, to have arguments during the football season, there's, there's really only one reason, Bill, because Texas sucks. <laughs> okay, but what about last year? <laughs> they still suck. So Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me make a note here, make sure Jay gets this episode. Okay, good. Um, then we'll get something started. Yeah, so yeah. you grew up in Oklahoma. What did did you go to school in Oklahoma, or were you out of there? You know how how did that play out? Yeah, uh, so I born and raised in Oklahoma. I did about three years at the University of Oklahoma uh, before bailing on to other things. And my wife, since because we're talking college football now, my wife Sheila, who obviously you know as well, she mm-hmm. was born and raised also in Oklahoma, but she went to college uh, initially at Oklahoma State. Oh. So. Jay and I fight all college football season. Uh, my wife and I just have one weekend a year. It's usually the last weekend of the season that we're not very nice to each other. Yeah, that Cowboy Sooner matchup, not good. Not at all. Not yeah, at all. Gotcha. So I, I, knowing your age and knowing just knowing you and, and how, how tuned in you are to tech, I, I, I have this picture of you in high school. Were you, were you the AV guy? 
in high school? <laughs> we didn't. I didn't go to a large enough school to actually have an AV department. Okay. But I will say that my first job in college, well, other than a quick stint bussing tables, my first real job when I was in college was at a multimedia production company. And I learned audio editing in, in 1987, probably, was when I learned how to edit audio and do other sorts of AV work. And that's back when we were, when I was literally cutting tape. It was tape. It was quarter inch magnetic tape. And to make an edit, you pulled it off, put it on a block, got a razor blade, sliced it out, and then re-taped it together with, uh, with another piece of tape to join it. So yeah, I was a little nerdy about audio from an early age. Yeah. And, and what was your plans while in school? What did you, what did you see for Evo after graduation or after leaving Oklahoma? What, what were your dreams? So Evo's not much of a big planner, far future stuff. I, I have directional things that sound interestingly or sound interesting to me, but I don't really make the big grandiose plans. But as I can recall back in the day, I originally wanted to be a marine biologist. And I wanted to study echinoderms, so sea stars and things like that. Uh, that was that was very interesting to me in high school. And so I thought that'd be kind of cool just to go sit on an island somewhere and occasionally pick a starfish out of the ocean and uh, write some things down about it. That was a plan. But what they didn't tell me is that's like, you know, eight years of school. And most of the time you don't get to go to a deserted island somewhere. And then exactly how who's going to fund this and all that stuff. So, yeah, that, that one of many dreams that went away pretty quickly. So I know you did end up heading into marketing. So let's talk about that kind of transition. What was that first job? Did, did it start with maybe that first gig when you were doing the stuff in college? Or how did you end up in the, on the marketing side of things? I think it probably started. So I, I worked for a small company um, when I was hit my my early twenties. Um, a small company called Discount Tire Company. <laughs> and by small, that's not a small at all. <laughs> not at all. Pretty pretty gigantic company. And um, fairly early, I think in my in my late twenties, I got promoted to the uh, corporate office where I became. I, I was placed in charge of the website, uh, which this is nineteen ninety nine. And, you know, websites were not all that great back in the day. And I was picked to lead the charge because I had, you know, I'm a dabbler in things, as you know. I like to be on the bleeding edge of things. So I had already built several websites. Crappily, I am by no means a website developer. But remember, this was the 90s. So there wasn't a lot of tech actually to, to be done there. So I got tapped to, to lead the team that would build this giant e-commerce platform and that's still going strong today. And that led me into being interested in the marketing side of things. Uh, actually, it was in the early aughts that I that I left the job uh, at Discount and went to work for the advertising agency that I had hired. They uh, to to help us spend spend our money. Yeah, I quit and then went to work for that agency, and we kept Discount as a client. So I went from being an employee to a consultant, which was a which was a great gig, and that's what propelled me into the world of digital marketing and advertising, where I've kind of stayed for a while, and then. In, in various uh, permutations over time. And I would say you've never, you know, and actually you've, it's, it's always going to be a part of you. And even in your uh, current role and what you're doing now in the podcasting world, it's still a big part of what you do, right? Yeah, it, it really is. You know, my, my vision of marketing was always more of a business function than it was the marketing itself. I mean, there are people who are hardcore marketers, you know, just put, point them at a problem, give them a budget and they'll solve it with the marketing. 
that's not really my approach. You know, I, I, I've become over the years, as I know for the 30, 40 years I've been doing uh, various professional gigs, you know, more involved in the operations side of things and, and why things work. And so when I do embark on marketing, which technically I'm, in, I'm involved in marketing today, but it's much more from a content marketing perspective. Mm-hmm. I really believe the concept that advertising is a tax that you pay for having crappy content. But if you do it properly through good content marketing, just make great stuff, then that tends to get the audience it deserves. Yeah, I want to talk about podcasting. I think this, you know, it's been, I've been on doing this show now for four years. Uh, I've been, you know, relying heavily on you in the last couple for advice. And even though you might not know that, because I I love your podcast, Podcast Pontifications. So, uh, but but I want to talk about the beginnings for you in podcasting. If you're listening to the show right now, think about this, that Evo was one of the first 40 podcasters in the world. And I think that's pretty spectacular. So let's talk about 2004. How did you discover it? What was going on? Was it was there somebody in Phoenix that you were connected with that you both got involved? How did that all come together? So I remember exactly uh, what happened. It was October 12th of 2004 when my partner on the internet radio show that we had been doing for two and a half years prior to that, he came to me or maybe sent me an email, I forget what it was, and said, hey, check out this thing called podcasting. And I promptly ignored his email because my partner was, that was not his job. His job was not to bring up the new cool tech stuff. That was my job. (laughs) So anything that was sent to me that I didn't do was immediately suspect. So I ignored it for a day, opened it finally on the 14th, two days later, I decided to open it took a look at it and realized, well, let's see, we already have a blog. We were using a a tool called, uh, not not WordPress, but movable type to go way back in the day. Movable type was what our our blog was. And we were writing these very long and descriptive content about the show we were producing. We had a player on the web page already. It was, you know, just linked to a file on our server. I think it was a, a real media player or something else of extreme high quality of 2004. Right. And we even had an RSS feed. People were subscribed to our blog because you could subscribe, subscribe to blogs back in that day. We were making audio files in MP2 format and distributing them to all of our radio stations. So we had all the pieces except for one. And that's that little enclosure tag that goes into an RSS feed. Now, again, I'm, I'm no developer, but I'm a halfway competent hack. So I was able to crack open the movable type software and take a look at how the RSS feed was generated and basically fake an enclosure tag. And so after about an hour and a half, we were podcasting on October 14th, 2004 with someone in the neighborhood of 80 shows in our back catalog immediately. So yeah, that's how, that's how the whole thing began. Wow. So was there this, were you thinking ahead? I mean, were you thinking this could be, this is different, this could be big, or was it just, this is new, I want to be a part of it and see what happens? It was a combination of both. One was just to do new things. But then as I started getting involved with podcasting, listening to other shows and seeing how really easy it is to distribute content in this form, I knew it was going to be really big. So at the time I was doing an an interview show, we were, my partner and I would interview science fiction authors, some really big authors like Arthur C. Clarke and Ray Bradbury, uh, also a lot of underpublished 
authors, you might call them, who didn't have quite the, uh, the reach that the other places did. Well, I recognized there was something cool with podcasting. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what it was, but remember, this was before Amazon Kindle was on the market. We're talking 04. No one was reading ebooks. There were a handful of ebook readers, but they were hard to get and expensive and not easy. So for all these authors, they didn't really have an opportunity to promote their books anywhere. So I started calling up many of these authors who I became friends with, letting them know about this thing called podcasting. And I didn't know what they could do with it, but I knew that there was something to be done there. Uh, and that is really what propelled me down the road to a thing called podiobooks.com, which I started, which we were encouraging authors to write and record their own audiobooks and everything else that is in today. So I, yeah, I guess early on, I did recognize that it was something there. I didn't know what something was, but I knew that it was going to be a pretty big deal. And you know, 15 years later, here we are. All right. Speaking of authors, you also authored a book at this time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right after that, I think it came out in uh, 2005, Podcasting for Dummies, the, the first edition. That was, a, that was a lot of fun to write. And I say a lot of fun because I remember it was in the summer of 05, I turned in all of my half of the book. I had a co-author named T. Morris. He wrote some of it as well. And we turned in the book. Everything was great. And then we get a notice in the email from our publisher saying, we just got notice from Apple that they're going to start having podcasts be a part of the iTunes ecosystem. Should we say something about that in the book? I was on vacation, Bill, in British Columbia. And basically for five days, I let my wife go to the vacation at British Columbia. I just stayed in the hotel room and rewrote everything. Oh. <laughs> Best laid plans. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, and, and you. I've heard you talk about this too. This because you know with the patio books that the, the, all of a sudden you're you're going down that path, but then the Kindle comes out. Right. All of a sudden, e-readers become e everywhere. Right? Yeah. I mean, back in the day when when patiobooks.com first got started, again there was no Apple, and so and there was the chance of you as an author getting a book deal at a major publisher was zero. I mean, the only reason, Bill, I said yes to writing podcasting for dummies is it was a for dummies book. I knew I didn't have to market it; it was already done and sold. But for most of the fiction authors out there, they're writing things on speculation that it gets picked up. And that happens such rare occurrences. So all this hard work went into writing this novel, but they can't go anywhere with it. So the idea behind PatioBooks.com was spend more time, like 20 or 30 hours at a minimum, and narrate your book chapter by chapter into a microphone and release it as a podcast. Give it away for free, get interest. And that was cool and exciting. But then when Amazon decided to release the Kindle and ebooks dropped down to free, it was a whole lot less work to take that manuscript and just simply say, publish to Amazon as an ebook on the Kindle, which took zero effort as opposed to the 20 or 30 hours that it took to make an audiobook. Well, I want to I switch gears here because uh, among some of your more interesting stories, there's all we could always talk about the sausage and beer diet. But <laughs> I might save that for another show. <laughs> but... But you and Sheila embarked on what I still look back as just an unbelievably uh, cool, scary, um, there's bravery involved, just uh, adventure. And and so let's talk about um, your the expat years, I'm going to call them, with you and Sheila. And, and I, you know, I, I first became aware of it when you went through this incredible downsizing operation <laughs> pretty much online, right? It was really cool. The stuff was being sold or here, you can take this. And yeah. can you share that story for the listener just so they could understand that? Sure. Uh, so 2014, so 10 years after podcasting, um, it was it was late. It was like, I don't know, October, 
November, something along these lines. It was very late in the year. And my wife and I had what I refer to as a shared midlife crisis. <laughs> we decided we were going to we we're going to leave the country, and we didn't exactly know what that meant. Uh, we, you know, we'd raised a grown son, and we'd been talking about leaving Arizona for a long time. Not because we hated here, but I don't know if you've if you've been a listener of Bill's. It's hot here, <laughs> and we wanted to go do go somewhere else, but. Sheila came home one day and she said, I just found, I just read this really cool story about this couple. They're in their late fifties. We were in our forties at the time. They're in our late, their late fifties and they travel the world on $20,000 a year by doing house sitting for people. So they don't have to pay for their lodging. They just go and it, could, could we do that? And I said, why couldn't we do that? That sounds like fun. So yeah, that was pretty much the impetus of why, why we left. So yes, we began the massive downsizing and having uh, the, the buy and buy parties, we called them, where <laughs> come say buy to us and buy something because it all had to go. So yeah, I think it was finally in January 2015 is when we left and we had sold everything. We had a, like a tiny five square foot uh, storage unit that we that we kept to keep baby books and blankets and irreplaceable things, but no furniture, no TVs, no nothing. You know, everything gone. And we left the country with a one way or each of us with one way tickets to France. And we really didn't know what was going to happen after that. But what happened after that is from France we went to Copenhagen, and from Copenhagen we got to go to for some time in England, and from England then to Spain, and then to Italy, and then to Thailand, and then to Oh, all of Hong Kong and Australia it was it was an awesome, awesome year. We hit thirteen countries in three on three continents, and I think we calculated the the number of days we spent in a hotel because we didn't do house sitting every single day. I think the total number of days we spent we had to pay for a hotel room was thirty. Wow! And so, awesome. yeah, it it was great. We um. We were sitting in Australia uh, about a year later. It was in between Thanksgiving and Christmas in Australia, which, by the way, Australia is an awesome place to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas. Hello, Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> there. Yeah. So we were sitting there looking at the bank account. And, of course, the funds were dwindling, as was the plan. And we had a conversation that discovered that neither one of us really wanted to move back to the States. So we bought a ticket to Thailand where we'd spent about four months uh, to Bangkok specifically to just see what would happen there. And what happened there is Sheila got scooped up by the international school system. She wound up becoming the principal of a private school in Thailand. And so two and a half years, we called Bangkok our home. It was great. And if I, I think I'm right here, this is kind of where you reconnected um, pretty seriously back into podcasting, right? Yeah, exactly. We had gotten deep into the travel blogging community during that first year of traveling. Didn't really set out to be travel bloggers, but we were traveling and we were blogging and podcasting. And so someone says, you know, that makes you a travel blogger. It's like, oh, I, I, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> Logically, it does. Well, it just so turns out that the biggest travel blogger conference called TBEX is ran by a friend of mine. <laughs> so I reached out to uh, to him and said, hey, I guess I'm a travel blogger. So that got us stuck down in the middle of the of the travel blogging world. And it was from those contacts when I'm living in Bangkok a year or so later that one of the people I had met, another American who's living in Bangkok and has for, I don't know, 15 years now, he came to me and said, I think I want to start a podcast. Would you help? 
And so I said, sure, because I had nothing else to do. I mean, Sheila's working full time. I was living the retired life. I had nothing to do with my time. I might as well do that. And then just a maybe a week or so later, somebody else heard that uh, that Rick was having a show. And so Susan contacted me to help her with her show. And it's like, oh, I guess this is going to become a, a real thing. I'm going to have a job again, or at least a consultancy all over again. And so that happened. I had two or three other clients I helped here and there. But it was really the, the impetus of it becoming the real big deal and where I fully reconnected with the podcasting world was when I got a uh, call from my son in November of 2017 telling me that all that conversation we had many years ago from him when he was a young man, he totally forgot about because I would soon become a grandfather. Ah. And uh, ah. That, <laughs> yeah, so we were no longer going to be living across halfway around the world, not with a granddaughter coming. So no, we're not doing that. So we began making plans to move back to America and I didn't want to get a job. So I started reaching out to some other people to see if this can actually become a, a viable business that I was running here at Simpler Media. And I'm happy to say some 18 months later, will it happen a whole lot quicker than that? Yeah, this is what I do now. I, I launch podcasts for businesses all around the globe. That's that's my job. I want to talk about your podcast real quick. I sure. love podcast pontifications. Thanks. I caught it first on YouTube, by the way. Discoverability is a big deal for you. I know that. Yeah. And be, because we're Facebook friends, I discovered it mm -hmm. via, uh, a, 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 sorry, a Facebook Live. Yeah. Facebook Live. That's what it was. And uh, and uh, I heard you talking. I go, it sounds like a podcast. And it, and it was going to be on YouTube. And then I went to YouTube and found them. And then I went and found them on my on my Apple podcasts. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that. So let's talk about that, that, that starting that up. Obviously it, it's directly tied into simpler media and your business growth, but I love your tagline. I, I don't know if that's, it's more your mission statement and, and that talk about why it's more important, why it's so important to make podcasts better, not just easier. Well, I resisted becoming a podcast consultant all those years ago. I mean, clearly, 40th podcast ever, wrote podcasting for dummies. I could have easily opened up, you know, hung my shingle out and said, podcast consulting, here I go. But I didn't really want to do that because most of the people that were getting involved with podcasting were just hobbyists. There were no rules. You could do whatever you wanted to do. And, and that's still true today. I mean, there are no rules. You can do whatever you want to do. But there are some best practices which have developed. But more importantly for me, uh, businesses are now jumping into podcasting. And businesses I know from running digital advertising agencies as my day job for 20 years, businesses like to pay agencies to do things that businesses aren't good at doing. And so I saw a lot of businesses jumping into podcasting, looking for podcast consultants. I saw a lot of podcast consultants who were very happy to work with hobbyists who talk about D&D in their basement all the time, but don't really have a lot of business savvy and skills. So I thought, that's what I'll focus on. I'll focus just on these businesses who are going to pay someone to help them with the podcast, might as well be me. And I'll try and walk them through the things that they can do the right way. Let's not make some of the silly mistakes. Let's not go down the hobbyist path, but let's take something that, that leads them towards measurable business outcomes because not a lot of other people were focused on that. So it was because of that that I started talking through podcast pontifications where I would just come and bring my ideas and thoughts about podcasting from a business perspective down and, and out to the people. And it originally, Bill, was not a podcast. It was originally just something that I put on Facebook Live that I would then upload the video to YouTube as well as my LinkedIn channel. And that was for a very specific reason. 
I was talking to businesses. I wasn't yeah. talking originally to podcasters. I wasn't talking to the general public at large about these things. This was all very much business focused. So getting it out on LinkedIn, which was my was my ultimate goal, why I wanted to be there. Well, things have changed a little bit. I mean, I'm still focused. My business is all about businesses, but the tone and tenor of podcast pontifications has changed. It is now not for people who want to have a podcast, although that's perfectly fine. It's really for working podcasters like you, like anybody else out there that has a podcast right now that really wants to focus not on how to make a podcast because, I don't know, there's 90 different shows that will teach you how to make a podcast. But there's very few people out there who are beating the pavement about making podcasting better. But it's been 15 years since we've started podcasting. It's time we started working on ways to make podcasting better. Yeah, you've you've put together a coalition, I'm going to call it, Evo, a coalition mm -hmm. of people in the industry who are uh, on that same mission, right? Yeah, that's what I've I've been trying to do. I, I have this, you know, it's an election season here in the States. And when is it not an election season <laughs> here in the States? It seems like. True. But I, I started having some conversations with uh, a bunch of old-time podcasters whom I'm mostly friends with. <laughs> we, we sometimes have a, uh, a little bit of a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An argument occasionally from, from time to time as we, as we uh, talk about things. But there are podcasters who have a very conservative view, and there are some podcasters who have a very liberal view of things. But those two words are highly charged, so I decided to change it. And now I look at the old school, let's not change podcasting. It was perfect in 2006. Why mess with it? Those are the people that have a conventional view of podcasting. And there are people like me who say, no, actually, it's okay to do things a whole lot differently. We want to advance podcasting to make it better. So that's the advancing party. So I took full advantage of this charged political atmosphere we find ourselves in to make two different political podcasting parties, if you will, the conventional side or the much more fun side, the advancing podcasting party. <laughs> and I gathered a few people that I knew had similar thoughts and theories of mine and, and put them all together. And we have a loose coalition. We are trying to do things a little bit more uh, mainlined and streamlined as, as we're doing things. But there are some behind the scenes things happening with Advancing Podcasting, which you can go to and sign up, advancingpodcasting.xyz, because I love these new generic top-level domains. Um, <laughs> yeah, advancingpodcasting.xyz, and get on a mailing list. Uh, we occasionally send some things out when when new advances are happening and uh, as we try and, you know, make the future we want out of podcasting. Right. You mentioned, you know, that with, with what you're doing in Simpler Media Productions and PodcastLaunch.pro, you know, it's targeted toward businesses, but you talk a lot about service providers as well. So I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about realtors and the explosion of podcasting in the real estate space. That's someone you would work with. I think that's a service provider, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Professional yeah. service providers are my bread and butter. I mean, these people are individuals, businesses. Some of them have large organizations. Some of them are just one, one person that's doing it. But absolutely. Those are the people that I cater to because they've got a message and they've got a business outcome they're trying to achieve. And a podcast is a fantastic communication model that not enough are taking advantage of. Right. Let's, let's talk about how a, a podcast can benefit a real estate professional. Now, you're not in the business, but I know you've presented at NAR and you presented yeah. locally for the local boards and the state association in Arizona. So you know, you know what realtors are trying to accomplish. What, uh, how, could it, how could a podcast help them? 
you know, I've been fortunate to get involved with the local Phoenix real estate community. Again, I'm, I'm not a realtor, but I, I know quite a few of them. It's, you know, one of the ways that, that you and I got, got together as we connected. And, you know, to me, it breaks down. There, there's two kinds of realtors. There are the realtors that nobody likes. And there are the realtors who are amazing people. And I'm really fortunate that it's the amazing people realtors who, I, who I've surrounded myself with over the time. And the people that nobody likes, well, it doesn't matter what their job is, then no one's going to like them anyhow. But those that, one thing I've noticed with real estate professionals, especially those that are in that, in that latter set, is that they're genuinely interesting people. They've chosen a profession that everybody knows about, but no one knows anything about unless you're in the profession itself. You, you, everybody knows a realtor, but you really know nothing about what they do. But the greatest thing to me, I think, the, the big power a real estate agent has is that they've got interesting stories they can tell. They have to really know how to tell a story. And when you're, when you're selling a house or helping somebody buy a house, you've got to understand needs. But ultimately, it comes back into telling a story. Sometimes you have to convince your buyer that this house is, well, let's name not perfect. It can be made perfect in these particular ways. Same thing. You've got a seller. You've got to convince them to do a little bit of things differently so you can get the outcome they need. You're telling stories when you're doing all that work. And it's that same skill set of telling stories that you can use for your podcast. And no, by the way, no, your podcast doesn't have to be about real estate. It really doesn't. Your podcast can be about your local area. Why not? You're, most real estate agents I know become quickly become experts in their local area. So do a locally focused show where you're basically sharing the cool things to do in your own neighborhood. That's okay. But it doesn't have to be just about your practice. In fact, I would argue that unless you're speaking to other agents, it probably shouldn't be about your individual, uh, your area of practice. It should be something that's a little more interest to the general public at large. Yeah, I think that there's a great example of that with a, a, a podcast called Move to Tacoma. And Marguerite Martin did that in a small little town in Washington, Tacoma, Washington, where she interviewed the local leaders and has created a and, and got involved in local politics and a lot of good stuff. And she's created a, a business where she refers everything out. She doesn't handle the buyers and sellers anymore. They come to her through her blog and podcast, mm -hmm. and she just takes the 30% referral fee. Yeah. that's a, why, why wouldn't you do that? You know, I right. think a lot of people mistakenly assume that they have to direct sell everything, and, and they don't. I mean, well, Bill, you listen to my show, Podcast Pontifications. Other than the ending thing where I say, if you're a business and need some help, contact me here. The rest of it is not, it's not a sales pitch. Nope, but you're right. I, I get the vast majority of my leads from my podcast. People say, in some variation of this one, I like what you had to say. This is, these are words I'm not getting from other places. You need to be involved with my business and podcasting project. Here's a pile yeah. of money. Well, maybe not that last part, but nonetheless, that's the idea. It becomes, it, it, it in itself is a sales tool without having to sell. And that's the great thing about just telling stories, about sharing your own local knowledge, whatever that means, the right people will listen and good things will come out of that. I don't want to go negative, but give me the biggest misconception about podcasting, uh, especially for a service provider. It doesn't have to be a realtor, but what are they, where are they way off the mark? Most of them fail to realize how much work it is. Hmm. You know, it, it, this is not easy. I mean, here I am talking to a guy who's got three or four different shows. But nonetheless, you know, <laughs> making a podcast is not easy. 
specifically, what a lot of people think is that there is some relationship between the length of a podcast episode and the amount of work it takes to make that episode. And that's completely untrue. My shows are less than 10 minutes long, and they take me every day three hours each to put together. It takes work to make a show. That's a big misconception. The other big misconception is that quality doesn't matter. Quality matters so much. The better you can make your show sound, the better you can make the structure of your show, the improvements you can make on it will pay off in dividends. We've been doing this for a long time, 15 years. There are 750,000 podcasts out there. And the new crop of podcasting that is coming out right now is the quality bar has been raised way, way up there. So your potential listeners now know what good things sound like. That's your bar to hit. Not just, well, I borrowed my kid's gaming headset and did this from the kitchen while my husband was doing the dishes and rattle around the pots and pans. But nonetheless, I'm going to do it. Don't do that. That's not going to work. <laughs> That's great. Evo, I've had you here over the half hour I asked you your time. So I'm going to give you the same final question I've asked every guest since Jay Thompson, my very first guest. And that's, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started in the business, what would it be? Texas sucks. Oh, no, wait. We're not talking about Jay anymore. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I am not a realtor, as, as you all understand. But if you're brand new to this and you're just getting in, my best piece of advice is surround yourself by people smarter than you. People who have done this for a long time, maybe they're not the ones that are up on stage at the NIR conference and talking, maybe not the ones that leave their business cards on the urinal, which has happened at some of my events with real estate agents. I'm not going to name that person, although I'm very tempted to do so. No, 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 not that person. But just find the other people out there that are doing smart, innovative things who are talking about things that maybe other people aren't talking about. Befriend them increase your luck surface area by making sure that you are adding value, adding people of value to your own network, not just the big pros everybody else is following. Find the other smaller voices that are saying unique things. Evo, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? You can email me, evo at podcastlaunch.pro. You can go to podcastlaunch.pro to see a list of all the services I offer to my clients. Or even better, I'm a hardcore Twitter person. Been on Twitter for forever. I'm at evoterra on Twitter. Hit me up. I'll talk. Well, we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Evo, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I knew this was going to be fun. And I wanted to thank you personally here on the show for one of my best cold opens I've ever received from a guest. (laughs) You are quite welcome. I'm happy to help. Oh, and by the way, Jay, if you're listening still, Texas sucks.